Welcome to the Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. All right, thank you today for joining Behind the Curtain. My name is Brett Bernard with EPM Real Estate, and joining me today is Tina Tallarico with Capital City Mortgage. I want to get that. I always want to switch those two words. She is a lending expert who's here today to try to shed some light on all the different types of lending products and what's available to investors out there. I get a ton of questions about loan resources, types of loans, ARM. We just discussed Bridge, which we're going to get into. So hopefully this segment will kind of give you a little more idea of what's available to you as an investor. Again, my name is Brett Bernard with EPM Real Estate. And Tina Tallarico with Capital City Mortgage is with us today. And today we want to talk about something that we all agreed needed to be, we need to be more specific and dive into a little deeper. And that was called a bridge loan. Now, my idea of a bridge loan was that you're selling a property and you're trying to buy a new property, but you haven't closed on the one you're selling. So they bridge it over and let you go ahead and close until your previous property sells. I was told that I'm an idiot and that is not true. So, Tina, explain that, to us the bridge loan. That is true on the residential side. That's exactly what it is. Okay, but so I'm not in commercial idiot. lending, it's just a short-term loan, one or two years. It's a fast close, and I mean fast, I mean two weeks on average, three at the most. A little documentation because it's a short-term loan, and somebody that wants to close on an apartment community, something like that, it's a fast way to purchase the property. So, let me ask you this. What would be a good scenario for a bridge loan? Instead of just doing an arm or a 15-year, why would you do a bridge loan? What would be the point? What's the purpose? Typically, when you're buying something of that nature, which would be a, an apartment community, let's just say it's $2.5 million or $3 million and just a ballpark range, it takes four, five, sometimes six months to close those. Honestly, it does. And a bridge loan, typically, in all cases, is going to be a fast close. You're going to close it in less than 30 days, typically two to three weeks, and uh, less documentation. So a lot of the investors that I work with on those bridge loans, that's what they like the most, is they're used to having to be, you know, it drags out for so many months before they can close and their paperwork to death. Mm-hmm. So a uh, bridge loan helps you skirt around that and avoid all that and uh, close quick. So they'll purchase it and do a one or two year term. Either is available. There's a multitude of properties. I mean, you can do a bridge loan on several different types. You can even do a rate term refinance. You can do a cash out if you're looking for some quick cash. They can't be rehab properties. You know, that's excluded. One to four unit properties, single family, multifamily, mixed use, all have to be non-owner occupied. However, and there are other uh, commercial type buildings that you can use a bridge loan on. I understand a bridge loan now. If I want to buy an apartment building instead of waiting six months to get and being paperwork to death, I can just do a bridge loan and close it. But at the end of that two-year period, I've got to do something with that loan, correct? Mm-hmm. Would you go into a one, let's say you do a one-year, so six months into your one-year bridge, you would start the process of more permanent financing and all the paperwork, or do you move them automatically into a different type of loan? That is, that is true. If you use a traditional commercial lender that requires all the documentation and they require you to uh, prove income and that sort of thing, it does drag out for a long period of time. 
However, with Capital City, we don't require tax returns for qualifying on any of our programs. So uh, income is not an issue. So it's not a long, drawn-out process. So let's say I come to you tomorrow. You give me a bridge loan. August 15th, I close out my 10-unit apartment building, and I'm on a two-year term for a bridge. What are my next steps? I'm going to collect cash flow, maintain the building, manage it, and do you know everything I need to do as a landlord. But that two-year term is going to come up where it expires. At that point, what options do I have to move that into a different type of loan? Is it something that the same company that wrote the bridge can automatically convert, or do I have to go through the whole loan process to go with a, a term loan? Yes, you can go through the same company to refinance it. And in many cases... The investors that purchase those apartment communities, if they find something that's a real good buy, they'll turn around and sell them because of the bridge loans. They don't have any prepayment penalties on them. And they'll hold them for a year or two, get some cash flow off of them, and turn around and sell them to somebody else. Or they'll refinance them into a longer-term loan and continue to collect that cash flow. Okay. So So. the bridge loan is a good option for closing fast, getting your cash flow going. But the bridge loan also expires, and you're going to eventually have to convert to a more. Now, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Let's say I bid a bridge loan, bought an apartment building six months ago, and six months from now, my term's coming up. I've got to go to conventional financing. Well, my bridge loan was at that time was what, 5%? And now it's going to be at 7%. Right. So if that becomes the issue, what would be an option for an investor to try to not eliminate a good chunk of his cash flow just through a higher interest rate when he refis? Is there an option to where I could put some more cash down, I could pay down some of the principal and try to get a lower interest rate to keep my cash flow in good position? You can certainly buy the rate down, or you could do an arm loan. The rates are typically less on arm loans, and take out maybe a 7 or 10 year. That gives you more time if you're not holding it long term. Okay. Let's talk about other products that might be out there. I mean, because you've you brought up some kind of off the beaten path products that y'all offer. The arm being one, we discussed that last segment, and turns out after discussing it with you, arm loans look to be a good option for an investor. Horrible option for a homeowner, but a great option for an investor. Is bridge loans something you would do strictly for apartments and multifamily? It's not something you'd put together just for a guy to buy his first rental property. We do offer them on, really? on just a single family. Absolutely. We offer them on a single family, one to four units, apartment buildings, as I said before, mixed use properties, various types of properties. You could even do a bridge loan on a office building, on a shopping center, and you know what kind of red tape you go through on a shopping center or an office building to try to get closed. And I guarantee it's going to take you five or six months to get that to uh, closing. So a bridge loan is a quick way to go in and uh, get it done quick with a whole lot less paperwork. It certainly sounds like it. So what other off-the-beaten-path products come to mind for you? I mean, y'all have some good ones. Basically, lending can be designed any way any creative person comes up with. But in the standard type of offerings, you got bridge, you got arm. What other type of special loans out there that investor can take advantage of? For instance, I mentioned the bank statement loans. Mm -hmm. If you want to qualify, let's just say you write off all of your income on your tax returns, but you don't want to go DSCR or or no doc. For instance, the no doc is a lower loan to value. We will use uh, 12 months of your bank statements 
And in many cases, you don't even have to provide those because we use an automated service to retrieve them from the bank. And basically, you can use the 12 months of deposits as okay. income. And that's that it. Mm-hmm. Some programs we go 24 months. We have 12 or 24 month bank statement programs. Now, the bank statement program, what's the credit criteria for that? The maximum, min- uh, like the minimum? Uh, the bank statement program is a 75% cap on the loan to value. Mm-hmm. You have to have a minimum of a 700 score for so that. So, minimum 700, mm-hmm. 25% down, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this question because I try not to be an expert in lending because I don't want to put myself in hot water when I talk about it with other investors. But let's say I've got a house that I miraculously get it for $80,000 It's appraised at 100, 105 all day long. How does that change the down payment? Are you still requiring 20% on the $80,000 they are borrowing? The LTV is based on the purchase price. Now, you can turn around and refinance it later and get into that equity, but not at the time of purchase. Okay. Let's discuss the no-doc loan. The no-doc basically is like a light-doc type loan. And as far as the property types on that, property types are pretty much the same. The no-doc loans, it's basically no documentation. When you say no documentation, I mean, obviously there's an application that has to be submitted and you're putting in your social security number and you're running credit, but almost like the horrible feared stated income loans that everybody made so much money on back in the early 2000s. Is that what it's like? It is. I mean, it's no different than the DSCR. You're still not proving your income from your tax returns or your job because a lot of these investors I work with, believe it or not, they're not self-employed people. They don't own businesses. Right. They work at FedEx. They have regular jobs, W-2 paid jobs. And so just anybody can purchase investment property and and those people that purchase the investment properties, you know, just your your normal everyday person that's not familiar with investment properties, they'll typically start out with one. And uh, they always ask me, you know, well, you think I ought to buy multiple? And I always encourage them just to start out with one because they may not be good at it. It's not difficult to buy rental property. What's difficult is to be a good landlord. If you're not using a management company, I go through a lot of properties that are just so poorly maintained. There's so much deferred maintenance. The houses are just a wreck. So to be a good landlord, you got to take care of your asset. I mean, if you have, I don't know, let's say you've got a collection of fine wines in your wine cellar. You're not just going to throw them down there and just not check on them for the next 30 years. You're going to go down there and turn them and wipe the bottles down, keep the dust, make sure the humidity is right. Same thing with a rental property. If you just don't take care of it, you're just killing your asset. You're, you're losing value. I had a guy that sold a 12-house package. One of my investors bought it. He wanted a significant amount of money based on comps. So we wrote the guy an offer, got it accepted, bound the contract. We did the inspections. The deferred maintenance was so bad and they were such poor condition that we ended up going almost $180,000 off the package price, which was significant based on the total purchase price. And even then, because of their current condition, the properties would not appraise for what the price was. And the guy was so mad. And I said, look, you've spent the last 10, 12 years collecting free cash flow and not putting a dime back into them. So guess what? You made your profit and you put it in your bank account and bought the boat and bought the house or whatever you bought with it, but you put nothing back in your asset and it is slowly depreciated. And a lot of investors don't realize that. If you don't take care of your asset, it's going to depreciate in value because that deferred maintenance becomes a negative against the value of that property. So take care of your property. That's all you got to do. It's a simple thing. Go out there every few years, fix some rotted wood, put some paint up. It doesn't have to be extensive. 
So, okay, well, we're going to wrap up this segment. And again, my name is Brett Bernard, EPM Real Estate, 901-692-7401. Or find us online at epmrealestate.com. If you go to that website, go to the second picture, which is the best looking guy in the group. That's me. My cell number's on there. There's a little bio about me. I am a Memphis investment real estate expert, and I'm sticking to that. So shut up, Richard. And today with me is Tina Tallarico. She's with Capital City Mortgage, and she is a certified lending expert in my book, and she can help you decide what product works for you. If you want to get an investment game, give me a call or give Tina a call at 901-826-7218. Yes. So if you're thinking about investing in real estate, keep in mind 7% interest rates are still half of what they were at what? Eight, 12 years ago, 13 years ago, That's 14 true. was. So interest rates are not going to kill you. Your assets still going to perform. You're going to produce cash flow. You're definitely going to produce wealth because value of the property is going to increase. So if you're interested in talking about it and if we can get you lined up and decide you're buying, I'll send you to Tina and she can get your loan set up for you and give you your options. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Behind the Curtain Podcast, your real-world guide to real estate investment and property management. Be sure to subscribe at BehindTheCurtainPodcast.com. And if you'd like to learn more about Enterprise Property Management's real estate services, please visit us on the web at EPMRealEstate.com. This has been a Sound Ideas Group production for Enterprise Property Management, Inc.